This program is sponsored by Wicked, Chronic, and Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. of terror. This time, I'm on a roll that will never stop. Feeling lucky? Take a shot. On Friday the 13th, the series. Next week, you've got nothing to lose but your life. And you're listening to the Dead TV Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows in the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And tonight's episode, we will be covering the Mephisto Ring. Uh, episode 17, and Mr. Zeneca has the episode synopsis for us. All right. The Mephisto Ring originally aired April 10th, 1989. Mickey and Ryan race to find an old World Series ring that enables its owner to see gambling results before they happen. It seems like they took about a month off between episodes, because the last episodes we were at the end of February, correct? Yeah, it was uh, February 20th was the last one for Scarlet Cinema. Then you jumped to April 10th. And in this episode, we have a returning actor to Friday the 13th, uh, Dennis Forrest, who we'd, uh, we've talked about previously. He is such a great, like, character actor. Correct. Uh, he was previously in uh, the Friday the 13th episodes Cupid's Quiver and Brain Drain. And he'll be back for My Wife as a Dog next season. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So he's been in every single season. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean he has this face that... that it has a, a creepiness, and he can do that manic, uh, you know, almost evil on that edge, which is really fun to watch. And that's probably why they used him so often. Yeah, and and uh, I uh, I don't think we mentioned this before. I mean, we mentioned he was on War of the Worlds, but he was actually on 21 episodes of War of the Worlds. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, of course, unfortunately, the last thing he did was, uh last really big thing that he did before he passed away was he was in two episodes of The X-Files. But he died uh, shortly thereafter uh, those episodes aired. Yes. Um, But you know what else else he starred in? What? The series that we're going to be doing after Friday the 13th. He was in Dracula's The Series. No, you have the wrong wrong one. (laughs) Ah! You have the Dracula series that ran for 24 episodes. It was a half-hour kind of comedy uh, family show. Um, we're covering we're covering NBC's Dracula, which aired in 2013. He died in 2002. That show is another show I would like to cover or may not cover. 
It's not great. I rewatched it. Okay. Yeah, so I wrong. Thought that yeah. was the right Dracula. Nope, oh, well. nope, 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 nope. Um, the episode was written by Billy Rabick, who wrote, uh, who was producer uh, for Home Improvement. He produced the entire show. Oh wow. Yeah, big career in Home Improvement. Also written by another writer who wrote um, the Tales I Live, Heads You Die, and Bad Penny, which is coming up soon. Ooh, cool. Um. Uh, some of the characters in the episode, like James Purcell, who I thought was uh, I thought was the uh, the actor that was on Prison Break and uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, but not. He plays Anthony Maiklin, who's basically the big time crime lord. Um, yeah, the big boss. The big boss, the big cheese, Van Honcho. Um, he was on RoboCop Prime Directives, which was a TV series. The War of the Worlds, uh, Smallville, Supernatural, Stargate SG One. Still working today. Bit part actor. Uh, uh, Counter-Strike. His mom, um, uh, Donald's mom, was played by Doris Petrie. She died in the year 2000, but she was in um, Scanners. Uh, her career goes all the way back to 1972. Um, also, pretty much a bit part actor. Kind of started her career very late, too, by the way. She was in her 80s when she died in 2000. So she yeah, started and, her career like in her 50s. And a uh, fun fact here, uh, she was not the first choice uh, for the actress in that role. Who else? Uh, uh, they don't actually name the actress because the reason that uh, she ended up taking over the role was that the actress that they had, although a good actress, kept forgetting her lines. And it turns out, in hindsight, uh, that was the on stages of uh, Alzheimer's. Oh, no. So, you know, they felt really bad about that after a while. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, Doris Petrie was uh, the second choice, and that's because she was a good actress, and she really fit the role well. Yeah, it's you know those things happen. Right off the bat, I gotta say, um, in this episode we have no Jack. In the next episode, there is no Jack. Yeah, two episodes back back, no Jack. So it's a World Series ring from the nineteen nineteen for the losing team. Basically, the the White Sox lost the World Series that year. Yes, uh, it's actually a, a controversy known as Black Sox scandal. So the White Sox were basically accused of intentionally losing the 1919 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. So Not the Yankees. Not the Yankees. Okay, I thought it was the Yankees, but but there's a guy in a Yankee cap who gets the who puts on the ring and dies. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Make the world a better place. Punch a Yankee fan in the face. I don't condone oh. that. I don't condone that. I don't know why I said that, but it's true no. because you know why is it why would I be saying anything remotely negative against the New York Yankees, Mr. Seneca? Where do I live? Uh, you live in Massachusetts. And who is the team of Massachusetts? The Boston Red Sox. <laughs> the biggest rivalry in baseball. <laughs> yes, by the way, Yankee fans. Oh, by the way, who's on top six games right now above the above the Yankees as of uh, September 16th, 2018? Oh, that's right. The Boston Red Sox are. <laughs> they, by the way, have clinched the, uh, their division. Oh, by the way, their record is currently now 102 uh, to 40. Oh, come on. All right. All, all right. right. All right. Okay, I do have some information on the rings, though. By the way, the, do you know who won the World Series last year? World Series last year? Yeah, the White Sox. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the big deal. That was the huge deal. I mean, everyone talks about, like, the Boston Red Sox had the curse and it couldn't be broken. It's like, they, they won the World Series. It was a big freaking deal. It was huge for Chicago, you know? Yeah. I remember Obama it. was talking about it big time because, you know, he's from Chicago. <laughs> I'm just not into sports that that carefully. Ah. If, if it affects my neighborhood, I care. But uh, otherwise, I yeah, just woo, right over my head. 
actual information on the 1919 World Series ring. Uh, this actually is a real object. I tracked down the 1919 World Series ring uh, was presented to Pat Morin uh, as manager of the Cincinnati Reds, um, as manager of the Cincinnati Reds team that beat the infamous Chicago Black Sox. This ring, because at the time of um, the culture at the time, jewelry for men was seen as effeminate. So most of the time, uh, all the time the players would get uh, World Series pins, so not a ring. But this was made and given to him specifically. The ring went on sale, or on auction, and the final price, as far as I could track down, was $33,500. And it is a beautiful piece of jewelry engraved with P.J. Morin on the inside and stamped with uh, 14 karat gold and marked 10K on the band. And the story of this ring is that Pat Morin then gave it to his family member, John Morin, mm -hmm. who then gave it to his milkman. I don't know why, but milkman. And then the milkman passed it down to his son, and then he, his son has had it for 50 years, went up for auction. We open with a murder! The guy gets wins big and then gets shot in the back of the head, and you're like, oh my god, who could it have been? It must have been the guy he owns the money to, and he won't tell you who it is, except for if you already watched the episode, you listen to this commentary. It was the mom. Terry, you're listening to this talking about Friday the 13th series, but you haven't watched the episode? Uh, why? Exactly. Uh, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. You kind of need to see the episodes to really understand what we're talking about. However, I haven't... I don't remember this episode, so I, I I might have seen it, but I don't remember it. So I was kind of surprised to find out it was the mom at the end. It was a good twist. Yeah, I, mean, I, I did think it was Mikkel, like or one of his hitmen, you know, that, that's so, so obvious. But to find out at the end that it was mom, and then she has to do the same thing to her boy, is like, wow. Yeah, that, that was pretty uh, pretty much a gut punch there. Right, right. Uh, what what really ticked, you know, like it tipped me off about her story and the final outcome, like, finding out that she is the murderer of her husband. Certain things that she said to Mickey and Ryan when she seeks their help, after her son, but she doesn't know her son, takes the ring out of her lockbox. She said that uh, th her husband was shot by Anthony Macklin, which is the big boss crime syndicate guy. Yeah, because that's what her son also believes. Yeah, but yet she had the possession of the ring. She says that Anthony Macklin shot him for the ring, but yet she had it. Why did so, she get rid of the ring after she knew of all the trouble it caused? You know, I had this exact same argument with my partner over this scene, because she just had it in a lockbox for like five or six years, didn't do anything with it, wanted to keep it away, and yet reaches out after getting the mailer, after getting the mailer for a year ago, reaches out to Mickey and Ryan when she doesn't have it for help getting it back, yet she kind of knows that she's not going to get it back. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever that... I mean, she's that free... She shoots her husband, but the entire episode, she's like, my boy's a good boy. He wouldn't ever do anything like his daddy. And, oh, he he's going to give the ring back after tonight or whatever, because that's what he tells... Uh, yeah. That's yeah. what she tells uh, Mickey and Ryan. Uh, when she goes to the bar to try and get the ring. I, by the way, I do love uh, Mickey tells Ryan um, to take the old woman home because uh, she's going to use her feminine wiles to get Donald to come home with her. 
Well, yeah, you know, it worked once in Cupid's Quiver. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So he'll she fall and for he even again. she even yeah he'll fall for it again. That idiot. This is the same guy that did. Yeah, it's just like Ryan. Don't you remember him? She even has to say to Ryan, "Are you gonna get him to go home with you?" <laughs> yeah. What is she gonna do? Is she gonna puff? Like, oh no! <laughs> is she gonna puff up her um her um Elvis oh, Presley man. hairdo a little bit more? Oh, Jesus my God, Christ! That hairdo was wild. Holy crap! They gotta do something with all that hair. It's incredibly long. I I envy that thickness and luxurious hair that you have enough of it that you can pile it on top of your head and have four inch, five inch high bangs and still have it look full and. You know, beautiful. I envy her hair, but damn, those bangs are tall. You were a bit jealous, weren't you? I was. I was. Seriously. You wanted hair that big back in the 80s when you were nine. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, there, there was the whole press your, your bangs flat and make them stand up like a rooster's, uh, you know, whatever they call that, comb in the middle. Um, but in front of your face. So there was that trend, but I did not like that trend, so I never did that. Oh, okay. Um, maybe we'll make that one of our Patreon things. You'll have to do your hair up like that way if someone donates oh, enough money. <laughs> so if you want to donate to us on Patreon, if you want to donate to us on Patreon, go to Radio Horror on Patreon and make a donation. Mr. Zeneca will do her hair up for you. Just yeah. for you, lover. <laughs> By the way, do you consider what he tried to do with the ring to her like sexual assault in some way? Because I got a very sexual assault vibe on it. I mean, he was definitely holding her tight. Yeah. Squirming and all that. It was assault. I'm not sure if it was sexual assault because it wasn't. Well, no, he didn't. Sexual contact. Yeah, no, he didn't sexually assault her, but I got a very kind of assaulty vibe from it because they're alone in the car. You know, it just it kind of it kind of gave me that 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 vibe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that he was, from the start, either thinking that she was some sort of escort and, you know, because why would a woman of her caliber pay him any attention? I certainly wouldn't if I was a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I would pay, I mean, I'd pay her all sorts of attention. Vibe. Yeah, I'd pay her all sorts of attention, but... Uh... Yeah, she says, like, you know, he says, can I buy you a drink? And she says, what took you so long to ask? And he says, I was playing hard to get. How were you playing hard to get on the other side of the room, not making attempt, like eye contact or any attention to her? Yeah, yeah, no, no. This, this is this is Mickey just like uh, casting out a net and you know catching, just reeling it in the suckers, you know. I mean, I would uh, totally hit on Roby. I mean, God, she invited me up to her French villa when she came on the show ten years ago. So, did I take her up on that offer? No, unfortunately not. I was married at the time, and also it's in France, and I was like. How the hell am I going to get there? But right after she came on the show, we were talking about just, like, stuff in general when the music was playing, and we were, I was saying my goodbyes, and she asked if I'd ever been to France, and I was like, no. And she's like, if you come to France, you must stay at my villa. It's in the French border of blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my God, I would That's love to. Offer. It is, and I never took her up on it, and I have no contact with her. Somebody said that they could get us in contact with her, but it's like, I haven't, I don't know, we haven't heard from her that post was like a few days ago. So I, because they, they said that they heard our concern about, like, where she is because a lot of her social media kind of went dead. So... I'm okay, sure. I mean, I mean, as long as she's happy and she's doing well. You know, I know she got divorced really after she came on the show because I was in contact with her husband, 
and her um and then I found out later on that that is no longer her husband. So I don't have any other information right now. So I mean, again, if Roby listens to this, come on the show. It's me, Doctor Chris, French Vila, and all that. Me and Bishop Seneca, <laughs> we will fly out to France. <laughs> in in Elise's book, I'm um, sure your husband, I'm sure your fiance will totally understand. <laughs> probably come with. No. Uh, okay. Uh, in in Elise's book, so Curious Goods behind the scenes of Friday the Thirteenth, the series by Elise Wax. She actually lists a, uh, a quote here uh, in a little story. Now, she interviewed uh, director Bruce Pittman, and he talked in specifically about that main actor, Donald Wren. Quote, I loved working with him. I think he was a method actor. He'd sit by himself and then come out and do these wonderfully manic scenes. He was quite crazy in this episode. I thought it might be over the top, but it was just so damn interesting to let him go. I think a couple of times I may have come in and said a little less, but generally speaking, I was just delighted with what he was doing with it. He was just so crazed, that vein in his forehead. When we were finishing shooting, it was right around Christmas, I asked him what he was doing for Christmas. He never looked up. He just said, I'm going to go home and clean my gun. He was just in character the whole time. So now I use that line all the time, but I say it much more cheerfully. End quote. Hmm. <laughs> By the way, I that was a good moment. all of the, um, <laughs> I, I use this term loosely, special effects in this episode, the green mm-hmm. lightning stuff, remind, if you take a, if you take a look at, like, a still frame of the green lightning energy stuff that shoots out, uh-huh. and then go into your local toy store, I recommend Toy Vault in, um, Salmon Pond Mall in Marlboro, Massachusetts. I don't know why I would recommend that store, but I just recommend that store. Opened uh, during regular mall hours. Run by uh, some guy named Chris. <laughs> okay. Plug, plug. Plug, plug. If you go into any toy store and look up the Marvel Legend toys, any Marvel Legend toys that comes with, like, green energy stuff that you can snap on the arms of the character to look make it look like, you know, energy bolts coming out of their hands or something like that, that's what it looks like in this episode. It looks like plastic energy green stuff that you'd see cosplayers wear and they're trying to illuminate, like, the powers of a superhero or something. Yeah, yeah, I'd say accurate description. It's just, and, it's, and it was all digital. It's you know, so corny looking. <laughs> it is, but this is 1989, dude, you know, so limited No abilities. excuses! <laughs> limited abilities. I, I am surprised, though, that, you know, wh- the way the ring works is that someone puts it on, and then that ring kills them by throwing them around in this green lightning and, and all of that. It's, it's kind of a bloody, you know, death. Yeah, but again, it's like, okay, so the ring the ring throws them around? Why would the ring do that? The ring should, like, I, I don't know. Like, there are episodes where we have people being disintegrated by stuff, and, like, they just, they're just they just a pile of ash. Like, that's what it should have, that's what should have happened to them. They should have been, like, disintegrated by the ring. Yeah, but maybe they wanted to get in some of that gore. Mmm, tasty gore. I thought maybe that the ring was going to be like a, uh, excuse me, I was hoping the ring would actually be like Babe Ruth's ring or something. That would have been cool, too. Because he cursed the Boston Red Sox to never win the pennant after he got traded to the Yankees. Yeah, and yeah they that would have been cool, too. But, and the curse held till like 2004. But considering this is an object that's an actual object in real life, that's pretty damn cool. So, Donald bets a lot on horse racing. Um... We have, uh, we, we had, I don't know if it's still running or not. We had a big horse track here in, uh, Massachusetts. Do you have horse racing in Pennsylvania? Uh, yeah, there's a track here in Philly. Okay. Which I have not ever been to. I know you're dying, I know you're dying to go to. 
eh, not really. I'm curious, you know, but the passing curiosity doesn't really drive me to go. Have you ever have you ever had any type of uh, need to gamble? Have you ever been? I mean, you've been to a casino. Have you ever? Placed a bet on something because this is oh, mostly betting. This times. isn't this many isn't times. card playing. This isn't card playing or slot machines that that uh, Donald is doing. It's all bets no, on no, no, sports. No, no. I, I don't play slot machines. I play if I go to a casino. I play the Wheel of Fortune, not the Wheel of Fortune slot machines, but the Wheel of Fortune that has the one dollar, two dollar, five, ten, twenty, and then forty, and then the house uh, slot. I put uh, an amount of money on the one the 2, and the 20. And playing that tactic, you can get it right, and you're only losing money when you do the, um, when it hits on a 1, a, and that you only lose a little bit, uh, a, and then you lose all your money if it hits on a 5, 10, or the super high jackpots. Otherwise, that tactic, it will come up 2 or 1 most of the time, and then occasionally it'll come up 20. So when it comes up 20, you recoup all your losses from your previous uh, w- uh, games and I can play with that tactic on $60 for a good couple of hours and that's what I do hmm. all this talk about betting on sports kind of reminds me of this scene it's a little matter we need to talk about you have money right well forget it no not money Gray's Sports Almanac <laughs> Biff actually has the ability to win gambling matches, and, you know, just like this ring provides, except without all the death. Correct. Marty buys the Gray Sports Almanac in the year 2015, which is now three years ago. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, Doc gives him a lecture about going back in time. He, the, uh, he did not invent a time machine for gambling. Biff gets the Gray Sports Almanac uh, in the year 2015 and travels back to 1955 to give it to his younger self. When, Bart, when Marty and Doc returned in 1985, the the uh, the present has been turned into an apocalypse, run by Donald Trump Biff. And then Marty has to basically uh, that's when Mar- so Marty gets gets a hold of the 1985 apocalypse Biff, and then finds out that he has to go back to 1955 to stop older Biff from 2015 giving the sports great almanac to 1955 Biff. Yes. Thank God Back to the Future made that so simple to explain compared to most time travel things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, a few little holes, you know, in, in, in the time travel blah blah. But the Back entire the episode reminds me of that. Now, Hot Tub Time Machine kind of does the same thing as well. Uh, but in like a more comedic, like positive manner, like going back, you know, using time travel to bet on sporting events. I will mm-hmm. be totally honest. I'd probably do it too. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you have yeah. knowledge of the future and you know what who's going to come out on top of a World Series game, I mean. Yeah, but I I think I would do it a little bit smarter. I, would, I wouldn't have every bet win. No, no, and you know I what would, I would do? I would actually go back in time. I would not use it for the way Marty, Biff, or Donald would. I'd go uh-huh. back to the year two thousand and eight when the Patriots were a shoo-in to win the Super Bowl that year, and they lost to the Giants. And so many people lost their houses and money. Um, not only was it like the 2008, the year of the, uh, the housing bubble breaking and the economy just falling apart, but that year there were a lot of people, not just in New England, who bet on the Patriots winning that game and they lost because they'd already won three Super Bowls prior, you know? 
we had the god Tom Brady, and we who we still have. Um, and so, so you would try to rise above everyone else that's losing their houses and I would warn you know, collapsing them. in financial. Right. You know. I would tell them to not bet on the Patriots. I would I would bring okay. knowledge from the future to not bet on the Patriots in that game. So I. Now, would I bet on the Giants? Probably. So, <laughs> I would get something out of it by betting on the Giants who won the game, but I'd also stop everyone from making the mistake of putting all of their money into the Patriots because you do not understand how many people lost so much betting on the Patriots in that game. Yeah, they shouldn't have gambled with it. Well, yeah, true. You don't gamble with anything you can't afford to lose. True, but ever since then, it hasn't always been like a one-sided bet. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. now but, I've never been on a fight either. Um, I've been to a fight, but I've never been on a fight. Now I don't think I've ever bet on any sort of sporting event because I'm not into sports. The one thing that's also uh, kind of left left a bad feeling in my chest when I when I watched this episode is that every person that they meet in this episode is going to go to hell. You know, the mother kills her husband and her son. The son killed people with the ring. The husband killed people with the ring. The mob bosses killed people and and chopped off, you know, Donald's finger. All of the henchmen and goons are probably going to hell because they killed someone. Like, if if we're taking the mythos of this Mephisto ring, which is the demon Mephistopheles, like, yeah, you know, they're pretty much all set and going down there. So uh, it felt it felt heavy to me. Yeah, in the end, basically, it doesn't have a happy ending for everybody. No. Well, that's pretty much it for this episode. Um, I don't own a World Series ring. You're not a sports fan, so there we go. Yeah, not a sports fan. Uh, In this episode, we had a total of seven deaths. uh, And her son was shot just after doing, like, a a golem, my precious moment. You know, give it up. Never! That was kind of cool. Hmm. Uh, well, we're going to take a bit of a break, and then we'll be back with the second episode of the evening, A Friend to the End, here on the Dead TV Podcast. Double terror on an all-new Friday the 13th. I can't move! First, would you pose for an artist? Whose sketches suddenly turn to stone. <laughs> then, would you play with the strange young boy who lives down the street? But be warned, he's the devil's child. Friends help each other. They don't kill people. On Friday the 13th, the series, you can scream twice as loud next week. You can scream twice as loud next week. I, again, I love how he does that little clip cliff ending to the uh, t- for the episode. Uh, this is the Dead TV Podcast, and we are now covering the next episode of Friday the 13th, the series, which I'm not prepared to say. The friend t- <laughs> A Friend to the End, episode 18. A Friend to the End originally aired April 17, 1989. Mickey's young nephew befriends the ghost of a boy residing in the local haunted house. Uh, now, this synopsis on IMDb doesn't even mention what we saw in the, what we heard in the promo about the Medusa shard. So. Yeah, there's like a completely different... It's like almost two completely there's, different plot lines of MacGuffins going on. There <laughs> is, there is. And I think this is the only episode where there's two objects that they're actively doing sort of work on in this one the investigation is already well underway for the medusa shard object and so we're jumping in right towards the end of the end of the acquirement of the object and then the other object which is the victorian child coffin they didn't even do any investigation this kind of blindsided them it's just one an object that 
the nephew runs across because he you know befriends a ghost, kind of. Well, the son undead. of Satan, yeah, undead son of Satan. Mm-hmm. Very unusual that they had like the two intersecting uh, plot lines uh, with the two different types of MacGuffins. Again, a jackless episode, and also we open the episode up like it's in the middle of the episode with with Ryan going to the rescue of the woman who dies because she's drawn to death. Yeah, yeah, because you know you're you're plunged into this investigation that you know they're trying to get the Medusa shard so Ryan is like running to the rescue and they have this really good setup uh well yeah should we should we talk should, should we start from the beginning because there is that one scene in the beginning and I kind of want to go in order here yeah that's fine i mean it's basically what i just said Ryan to the rescue and the woman's drawn to death yeah but right in the beginning there's the old couple breaks into the cemetery and steals the body. Right. Okay. Right. So yeah, on your copy, is that scene just extra grainy and extra, I don't know, old feeling? Yeah, that's why I forgot about it. It's so badly shot. Like they're trying to make it look like old, but it's really incredibly hard to watch and sit through. That's why yeah. I like, completely skipped over. I was like, oh, like that's right. They they have a really crappy opening. Yeah, it was very pixelated, very grainy, and uh, what they're portraying is a previous time, but only two years. It's not like it was a decade. Is it it mentioned in Lisa's book about why? No, no, that's not mentioned. Oh, interesting. The episode was uh, directed and written by a guy who only did the one episode. According to his IMDb, that's it. The only thing he ever worked on was this one episode. Writer and director, a friend in, to the end, David uh-huh. Morse. Kind of curious, wondering who he was and you know what his backstory is. That he only worked on one episode. It's very unusual in like Hollywood to, to to do like one thing. You don't have any prior work. They just gave you that one episode job. I guarantee he had to have been like a friend of somebody. Yeah, yeah. I guarantee he has to have been a friend or relative of somebody that probably did commercials or theater. Or something. You do not just get a one-off job like this. And I've looked him up online. I can't find any other information about him. So, again, he had to have been a friend of somebody connected heavy on the set to Paramount or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The other writer is David Michaelman. Uh, again, doesn't have much of a list. Uh, wrote a couple episodes of Rugrats, the series, the cartoon mm-hmm. series. Scott Schneid. 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 Reminds me of the cat from Thundercats. Um, <laughs> he was the executive. He was the producer of Silent Night, Deadly Night, the Killer Santa Claus movie. Also a writer on Rugrats. <laughs> <laughs> maybe in, a connection there. Maybe, maybe. Okay, so in the episode we have uh, Kareem Malek Sanchez. And Zachary Bennett as JB. Now, Zachary Bennett is the kid, and you look at his picture now on IMDb, and he's like... He's a he, handsome man. If, I guess so. Yeah, he was, he's got that rugged look with the... He's with our the, age, too. He was born in 1980. That kid was our age when he was in that episode. Yeah. So yeah. he's 38 years old. But uh, he has had a career since... 1986, The Christmas Toy, a made-for-TV movie. Uh, Rin Tin Tin... Did you know there was a Free Willy TV series? No. We should totally cover that. It was 11 episodes. <laughs> no. I don't think that co- that comes under sci-fi, horror, or fantasy. I think it's ho- a horrible show. <laughs> it's drama. Waga waga. Um, I don't know. He was on 37 episodes of something called Wildcats, which is still on the air. 
Oh, that's actually a pretty good show. What? Wild Kratts? Wild Kratts. Yeah, uh, it is a nature show where these two, you know, and it's cartoony, you know. It's a nature show, though, where these two brothers, the Kratt brothers. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I see it. Explore animals, and they, they get themselves into different, different situations, and it's pretty fun and educational. Wow, it's gone on for 110 episodes. They're planning on coming back next season, so maybe JB will get work again. It's a good show. Maybe uh, we should have tried and reached out to him before we record this episode, too. And he's also on the Designated Survivor TV series. Right, right. Uh, as we get closer to the end of Season 2 and then we go into Season 3, we should get a hold of Jim to get him back on the show. Figure out when yeah. we're actually going to hit those that time, because we probably got to give him a pretty good well in advance, um, you know, uh, notice. Yeah. Okay, so the creepy kid of Satan, by the way, has been mm-hmm. on True Blood. He was in the Texas Chainsaw 3D. He was in uh, Punisher War Zone, and still working today as of 2018. He was in the Christmas Switch. Yay! <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's probably some crappy made-for-TV movie. He was on the short-lived revival of Charlie's Angels in 2011. Uh, he was he, on American History X. Uh, he was in, yeah, he was in American History X. He was on an episode of ER. He was on an episode of, uh, Rin, he was on uh, a couple episodes of War of the Worlds. He was also on the Garbage Pail Kids. Yay. Yeah, <laughs> a voice on the Garbage Pail Kids. Oh, the Garbage Pail And Care Bears. And Care Bears, again, big connection to Care Bears and War of the Worlds. God, everyone has been on War of the Worlds. And, uh, okay. And he's, he's got such a... A finely featured face. Very, you know, angular. The eyes are very uh, light blue or, or green. I can't really tell. But it, it it has this exotic almost look, but very, very fine features, I would describe. By the way, the guy who plays the cop that um, is to be sacrificed to the son of Satan uh-huh. uh, is still working to this very day. He has 70 credits to his IMDb list. Oh. He was uh, Sergeant Jumbo Turnbull on Witchblade the series, which we pumped ah, for no, I... uh, the Adams Family, which we're gonna do. So uh, we we'll will get, get to, to it Witch... eventually. We will get to Witchblade, and uh, he's in uh, five episodes of that show. Yeah, he was also he... in Detroit Rock City, cool. which I had the director Adam Rifkin on the Doctor Chris Radio Horror Show for. So awesome. let's get right uh, into the episode. There, there, there's one other person that we need to talk about: uh, oh. the artist, the the. Artist, the bad guy artist. The the chick. Uh, Jaeger. Yeah, the woman, right? Yes. The woman who tries to have a lesbian romance with uh, Mickey. Yeah. But you watch this episode and that not tell me there's some serious lesbian undertones in this. Yes, it's definitely flirty. Uh, but she's actually on another episode coming up of Friday the 13th called Mightier Than the Sword. Oh, okay. So she's going to be a repeat uh, actress. By the way, she played... Uh, I knew she looked familiar. She was Rogue's mother in the first X-Men movie. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I She's the one who walks that. in on like Rogue making out with her boyfriend and then sucking the life force out of him. Ah, uh, uh, ah. Yeah. And uh, she, um, you know, tries to, like, console her daughter. And she's like, don't touch me! Because obviously... Don't touch me. Just, yeah, basically Rogue's like, don't t- I can't be touched by anybody. Yeah, so the beginning of the episode really kind of sucks with that whole jargon edited crap. Um, and then Ryan, unfortunately, doesn't save the girl. And JB shows up because Roby's sister. So that would be Ryan's cousin, too, right? Yes, although we were never quite sure how related they were or are. Related enough that I guarantee people were writing in left and right into season one saying, Stop making Ryan want to bang his cousin. 
Because he is probably in the other room masturbating to his cousin. No. Oh, come on. No. Yes, I guarantee that okay, they... Okay, season one did have a lot of points that you could yes. like... Way yeah, too funny. often was Ryan being all pouty because, because Mickey was banging someone else and not him. Ew. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, that's disgusting. I don't they, care if they're fiction. They definitely took care of that in season two. We yeah. haven't had those moments. They don't have those moments anymore, thank God. The kid shows up and I'm like, are we missing an episode? Yeah, we have never been introduced to this kid before. No, we have never been introduced this, uh, to anyone in Roby's family, really, other than, like, Aunt Clara. Is that her mother? Because Ryan said she's Aunt Clara, Aunt Clara's daughter when she introduces yeah. him. When, 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 he, when, when, when he visited his family. Yeah, when he visited his father, he said, oh, this is Mickey, Aunt Clara's uh, daughter. It's said that they are cousins by marriage in some way or fashion. Yes. So. By the way, we 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 should we should let everyone know. Um, and again, if you've hopefully seen the episode, this child does live. They're not going to yeah. kill a kid on a public TV series, most likely. And uh, so we can add him to the list of uh, Lloyd, Rashid, the Virgin Amish girl, um, <laughs> the Voodoo Priestess. They all live. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now and, uh, uh, he he didn't come out unscathed though. No, he was on crutches at the end. No, and of course, um, some of the dialogue used throughout the episode makes him fit right in with the curious goods people of like, yeah, you you can't have any relationships that aren't going to end up with someone being dead or somebody who is already dead, <laughs> because he yeah. makes friends with the uh, the anime looking effeminate man <laughs> boy. Sorry, not man boy. <laughs> boy, yeah, the twelve year old Victorian. A child by the name of Richard Radwell, uh, born 1879, died 1891, age of 12. The entire time, by the way, while the uh, kids, the bullies are are trying... The BMX bullies? Yeah, BMX bullies are goading JB into going into the haunted house, and you see somebody from the window breathing heavily, looking at the young children. I'm thinking, Catholic priest or... Oh, no! Why don't you have a seat right over there? (laughs) Every time, it's like the boys are in the shot, and you're hearing, ah, ah, shh, just like, Jesus Christ, who wrote this episode? Oh, yeah, that guy who wrote that one episode. <laughs> yeah, and this kid needs to be, quote-unquote, fed every day. Uh-huh. Oh, my God, that's a lot of bodies. Yeah, that's a little weird. I mean, it's basically, it's it's kind of like a vampire, you know? It's not as much a zombie as much as, like, a vampire, because a zombie does not revert back to human form if it eats brains or human beings. It stays a zombie. But a yeah. vampire, in a lot of lore, will revert to an aging, old, disgusting kind of thing if it doesn't feed on anybody, anything with blood. So, uh, And the first person who falls victim to it is like an Asian girl, isn't it? I only caught yeah, a quick I... glimpse of her, but it looked like an Asian girl, maybe a teenager. Yeah, it looked like a young youth, um, immigrant of some sort. They said that she's only been in the country a short while, and right. she has no relatives. Right, and I didn't find her on IMDb, because I don't think she had a name, unless she did. Majority? I think I think she was just the sitter. Oh, okay, all right. Well, I saw a character named Marjorie. Who was that? Oh, Marjorie? Yeah, I'm wondering if that's her. Because she only has one credit under her name on IMDb, too, by the way. Maybe that is her. Yeah, uh, Majori is a Asian name, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, Marjori. It's supposed to be Marjorie, but in a you know uh, Asian dialect, it's pronounced mm-hmm. Marjorie. 
M A R J O R I E. Okay. Um, there's a artist that works on a comic book I read called Monstrous, and her name is Mar- Marjorie Liu, L I U. Yeah. And she's half yeah. Asian, half American. Yeah, so that's the first victim. So that's why I'm wondering. There's no other Asians in this episode, as far as I re- recall, correct? Correct. All right, so it's probably her. Okay, we've probably. nailed it down. <laughs> uh, go um, on. The missing extra. Yes. By the way, uh, the parents being thrown off the balcony later on, gee, we've seen that stunt work before by J.J. Macaro. He has done, uh, we've talked about him before, but uh, his stunt work got better because he went on to be the stunt coordinator to this very day for The Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Arrow. <laughs> <laughs> so he started um, way back in 1984 and did stunt work for Airwolf the series, Friday the 13th the series, Mantis, which is a show I would love to cover one day. Only ran for one season. About a guy, a uh, African-American billionaire who, who uh, gets into an accident and loses his legs and he creates a cyber suit to become Mantis. Ooh, and nice. by the way, this actor would go on to voice uh, John Jones, the Martian Manhunter of Mars, on the Justice League animated series and cartoons. And he was also on Alias. His name's Carl Lumbly. Cool. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so this stunt coordinator, by the way, for this for this episode, because there are a lot of stunts in this episode, has worked on every freaking thing you could possibly imagine: Millennial, Ace Ventura, um, Final Destination, the scary movies. Uh, I Spy, the, 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 the remake movie, the Scooby-Doo movies, Alien vs. Predator 1 and 2, and again, his biggest claim to fame right now is all of the DC Legend Arrow shows. You know, there's just a limited amount of stuntmen. Not I really. I, just, I think they're just, you, you kind of have to retire out early on it. But he's a stunt coordinator, so he might oh, okay. not be doing well, the stunts. Oh, He's the guy to make sure the stuntmen like Kane Hodder don't get hurt. Stunt, Kane Hodder, who played Jason, has you know Friday the 13th relevance. Uh, mm-hmm. gone on to more being a stunt coordinator because he's almost 60 years old. Or in fact, I think he's over 60. You know, obviously at some point you can't be doing stunts anymore. True. So in this episode, JB, the, the nephew's name, yeah. JB is dumped on Ryan and Mickey just before they're about to head out to uh, entrap the artist in order to track down the, the Medusa shard. Yeah. So he's just like appears on their doorstep and uh, they don't know what to do with them, so what do they do? They just kind of give them a bicycle and tell them, play outside. That's what my mom did. Go outside and play. <laughs> Be lost for hours. Nowadays, you can't do that. <laughs> it was the 80s, so you were allowed to do that. Yeah, but it's like, um, predators still existed back then? And it actually had a higher instance of child kidnapping and all of that back then than there are today, yet the strict... But uh, Mr. Zeneca, could you remember yeah. being gone for hours on end and your mom and dad not saying a word when you returned? Just being, hey, how was it? Okay. How's I it? was a latchkey kid. Yeah. So I, you were a what? A latchkey kid. A latchkey kid is uh, a kid that has the house keys oh, that's and right. lets themselves into the house when they come home from school and pretty much take care of themselves until your parents come home, whatever time that is. I was too. I was left alone at home for hours. You know, and my parents did instill in me, don't ever let the, anyone to the house that you don't know. If it's your friends, that's fine. Your parents are your friends, that's fine. But yeah. don't ever let anyone to the house you don't know. And yeah. I never had an incident ever in my entire life that I ever had to worry about that. Even when my parents got divorced and I moved to Massachusetts from Maryland. 
never happened. I'm sure it, it, there are worse story. There are bad stories out there, but um, I just those are I, rare. Those you, are rare, and and really, a child abduction is going to be someone that the child knows more likely. You know, either it's the divorced parents going through a, a nasty battle, a friend of the family that wants to capture the kid to you know take and do terrible things to him or her. You know, it's usually someone that the child knows. Why is it that Ryan and Mickey are so quick to not believe their nephew, despite all the shit they've seen? That is bad writing. Well, it is said that he likes to tell stories. Again, you know, he's, he all says, you know, that he's the... got this brand new bike with ape, ape hanger handlebars uh, and Mrs. all Zeneca, that. It's bad writing. I, I always hate that. It's like the main characters <sighs> have seen so many terrible things involving Satan and ghosts and people coming back from the dead and all sorts of other things. I mean, God, in the last episode, they fought a werewolf. Really? Yeah, that I can investigate yeah. the kids saying they, they he saw a ghost? It's the trope. You know, kids are always disregarded. I'm sorry. I have to come. I, I hate that every time as much as I hate like, oh, gee, who could the killer possibly be? We have to hide him in shadow the entire movie, even though we know it's a Friday the 13th movie. Yeah. I'm sorry. They did that recently with like the Chucky films, like the more recent Chucky movies. Uh, uh, Curse of Chucky, I think it was. Yeah. Curse of Chucky. And it's like the entire movie. Chucky's like just the doll. You don't ever see him move. He's always just sitting up in a chair. Or he's in the wrong place that he wasn't before. And yeah, it's you like, get the POV. And it's like, oh camera. my god. We get it. We know it's the doll. I just, I hate that sometimes. So he meets the kid, the dead kid, the Satan kid. Mm -hmm. I, it is interesting. We do, uh, it's like Roby's reaction to, uh, in between her lesbian romance with the sculptress, um, <laughs> she discovers, I'm sorry, but she's like, why don't you get over there and take your clothes off? This is how porn. This is how porn starts. Okay. Did you ever see Vampire Kiss starring Alicia Milano? No, no. I think you've asked me that before. Okay. So in the movie, um, and in the remake as well, except for the remake's a lot heavier. In the in the in the first movie, she has like a lesbian relationship with her photographer, who's like, "Why don't you take off your clothes? Oh, why don't you take off a little bit more?" And they start kissing and like following breasts and stuff. And then like in the remake. It's like the just drunk college girls just start going down on each other. Okay. Um, but it's the same kind of thing and everything you've ever seen in porn before. It's like, why don't you take your clothes off? Oh, well. You know, being coy and flirtatious at the same time. Oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, I think I'm gonna take my sh I'm gonna take my clothes off too. I want to get more comfortable. <laughs> exactly. Oh my god. Oh my. Your breasts are so big. Oh yeah. Would you like to? Would you like to touch them? <laughs> <laughs> the entire day I'm watching this going, oh boy, <laughs> it's not yeah. gonna go where I think it's gonna go. But Dude, have this curve of your hand just like this, and tilt your head back, and show me your neck. Yeah, oh my yeah, god, it's... yeah. And then of course, like later on, she's wearing like this. Uh, uh, I don't know, remember if it's a tank top, but there's a photo online where again it's, it said very 80s Roby, and she's her hair is very not as ridiculous as it was before. But it's very 80s, it's very big, it's very beautiful, and she's wearing, like, um, I think just a, uh, like, a slip, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and it's like, woo, yes, Roby was hot. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Uh, okay, so, JB and the ghost boy, Ricky, are having fun in the house, Devil, and, He's uh, not a ghost, he's, like, a real thing. Yeah, he's, he's undead. Yeah, know, but... JB keeps calling him a ghost. Yeah, but no, he is a real living, breathing, undead thing. Yeah. High-maintenance undead. Yeah, a little bit. Um, 
it's also like funny I guess you know this is a common thing where like kids who have abandonment issues would latch on to like one person as a friend and it would be a bad influence yeah I, I could see that I don't have any metrics on that to give you Ricky is slowly starting to change back to his injured state you know and, and it all kind of starts with this uh, clip of, of his father beating him with the horsewhip and we're, we get a couple flashbacks throughout the episode of the type of severe abuse that Ricky back in the 1800s suffered through and which ultimately led to his death. We get a little bit of that every time he starts to dwindle down on his power level. You know, his his need to feed rising and he he starts to bleed, cuts on his face, his nose starts to bleed and and so he asks JB to call the pharmacy and have them deliver something to him. So basically he wants him JB to order him takeout. Now we lose both uh bad guys, right? Uh let's see. The artist gets away with the Medusa shard at the end. Okay, yeah, okay, that's that's right. I I'm sorry. Uh, but the uh the with both parents dead, they were flung off the balcony. Or sorry, over the railing to their deaths. Um and uh. The, well, the, the cop survives. The zombie the guy. Cop was attacked. Yeah, the the cop is fine though, but the zombie guy is dead. But the Medusa mask girl, uh, Medusa mask, Medusa girl, uh, dies. No, lives. Sorry, god damn it. Uh, Medusa Shard <laughs> yeah. lives. Fuck. <laughs> the the artist Dejar lives, and she takes off on a plane with the Medusa Shard. Although that is all said with with dialogue, they don't show any of that. Um, the plot lines uh, end up switching to focus more on JB's struggle because at that point Roby starts or Mickey <laughs> starts uh, looking at the. Um, the register of, of items and checking out uh, historical articles and then figuring out uh, after reading this letter from the elderly couple that, um, you know, she, she finally realizes that her nephew wasn't just telling stories. She, he might actually have encountered a cursed object. So in the, the end of that letter, because Uncle Lewis's letter um, uh, from the elderly couple, it is signed... Your friends in his, under underline, service, Marjorie and Howard Harper. So they were also Satanists. So Satanists died from being thrown over the balcony or tossed, uh, falling off the balcony. Kudos, though, to JB because he actually does punch his friend Ricky at the end of the episode before he ends up falling up through the floor and being crushed by some debris. The, uh, do we ever count how many of uh, the, um... Objects have gotten away. Uh, I haven't been keeping track of that, but I think it's only like three. The compact. The compact was found. Uh, yes, but in the first episode we encountered it, it had gone away. So it wasn't put into the vault. So that first time we encountered it, it wasn't put into the vault. That got away, and then it comes back later, and they finally acquire it. This one, the Medusa Shard gets away. Is there another one? There, I thought there was one more. Yeah, I, I'm, 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 the number three is sticking in my head for some reason. I swear I thought that was just two because again the compact doesn't count anymore because we did we did recover that we did recover it yeah okay pretty much at the end Ricky doesn't you know doesn't feed and so therefore his power runs out and turns back into a bag of bones um I wonder if they uh, reburied him probably and and all those other corpses at the bottom of that house it was a lot of corpses like that kid's gonna have nightmares and not just about his abandonment issues true yeah. 
Um, I, I see him having deep psychological uh, warfare problems later on inside his head, uh, especially with his, uh, you know, shitty mom. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the mom just kind of dumps in places and goes out with her boyfriend. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, as far as I'm aware, this kid does not show back up ever again. So, no. um, it would have been not, not, it, in the book, it's uh, not said that he pops up at any other episode. So, uh, most of Roby's family is still alive then, unlike um, J- uh, Ryan's, who uh, brother is dead, dad is dead, mom is dead. Um, yes. So Roby's mom, Roby's mom, sister, and nephew are still alive, and because I, I don't think the sister will ever come on the show, unless she does, unless it's like another sister, because um, mm-hmm. then that sister would obviously bring JB, or they would be, like, "Where's JB? Oh, he's uh, you know, playing with ghosts again." Um, yeah. <laughs> And then her dad, I think her dad pops up at some point. Well, in the original script that uh, Elise actually had a chance to view, the original script has the artist, instead of holding hostage JB in order to get the shard back, the artist actually just brings the police into Curious Goods to take back her property. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more realistic, but less exciting. I'm glad they went with the with the, you know... With the, um, I'm, you know, I'm going to hurt this kid if, if you don't give me my property. But she did it with a chisel, and I thought that was, uh, is a chisel that sharp that it could cut a kid's neck open? I, I don't know. I don't know either. All right, well, that's pretty much it for this episode of the Dead TV Podcast and the two episodes of Friday the 13th of the series. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook at the Dead TV Podcast or on our individual Twitters at ChrisDSAV. And at Elegant and Kinky. We should hopefully be finished with Season 2 by the middle of October, because we're at Episode 18 now. And then through the rest of the year, we'll be uh, uh, through uh, Season 3, which has only 20 episodes. It's the shorter of the three seasons. So each one of the seasons is like 24 and 26 episodes. Okay, so, you know, the MacGuffins of this episode are pretty rare. Like, you know, a piece of a statue and a child's coffin. I don't know what to even say about that. I, there's no way possible that I could ever have those types of objects. How about you? No, I don't have a child's yeah. coffin. Um, <laughs> I'm not that morbid. And I don't own a uh, Medusa shard. Yeah, yeah. Some sort of stone you know, dedication to Medusa thing. Yeah, whatever. That's the end of the episode. We'll be back in, uh, in a week with the uh, next episode of the Dead TV Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. <laughs>